Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In this week's lesson from the Book of Romans, Dale South, the Associate Pastor of Groups at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, continues our segment on the biblical teaching of sanctification, reminding us that we are no longer slaves of sin, but we are slaves of righteousness through faith in Christ Jesus. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6 and join us as we continue to see how God's righteousness for the unrighteous is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we dive into the passage this morning, I just want to remind us of a few things about the book of Romans. First of all, is that it's a single letter. Okay, now we're dividing it up into little chunks and, and chapters and verses, but it was originally written by Paul, um, and it was not written with chapters and verses. Uh, it, it would have been read out loud, and it would have been read out loud to a group of people uh, in one sitting. Paul, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, and it was to a group of people he had never met. It was to a city that he had never visited, but he knew of some of the challenges that were going on there, and he, he, he knew that Rome was such a strategic city that he wanted to make sure the gospel was being understood clearly, and that the church had a good testimony and witness there. So this, this church in, in Rome uh, would have been having some of the believers, would have been Jewish believers who had accepted and served Jesus as the Messiah King. But then there was this other portion of the church that was very different. Uh, they were Gentile converts, and, and they had renounced their idols and their other gods, and they had begun to worship and to serve Jesus. But they did not have the background of the law and the covenants that the Jewish folks had, and they had a very different lifestyle prior to coming to faith. So th there was, in some ways, like oil and water there in the church, and, pa and Paul was wanting everybody in that church to understand a few things. Some of the things we've, we've seen he's already written about, uh, th that is that both Jews and Gentiles had an equal need for salvation. The law did not save the Jews. And because in Romans 3.23, he says, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, so Paul's writing this letter, and he, he's making this reasoned sort of argument uh, that both Jews and Gentiles not only are in equal need of salvation, but Jesus is the one to save both of them. He is not just the Jewish Messiah, but he is the Lord God King over all the earth. So, so Paul is arguing here that, that salvation is a free gift from God. It's, it's not about anybody earning it by their own efforts. Not, you can't have enough good works to ever attain it. And He's repeatedly using the word grace to describe how salvation comes to us, how we can have this reconciled relationship with God that from which we had once been so estranged from him because of our rebellion. So in Romans um, 6, 15 to 23 is our text this morning. We're going to unpack some other repeated words that... Uh, and some concepts that Paul uses to explain God's righteousness for the unrighteous as is being revealed in the gospel. Again, that's our theme pretty much as we go through the book of Romans. God's righteousness for the unrighteous is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read Romans chapter 6. If you want to have uh, your Bibles or your devices there to follow along with me, we're going to read verses 15 
through 23 this morning begins with a question. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you, were, you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Guys, in in verses 1 to 14, uh, Hunter taught us a couple of weeks ago that Paul repeatedly wrote uh, about how every follower of Jesus as Messiah had had moved and made a, a huge, huge transition. Every follower of Jesus Christ has moved from death to life, from being spiritually dead to being alive in Christ. I'm just going to go over some of those verses with you from the verses 1 to 14, just to kind of set the stage in the context as he continues on in the rest of chapter 6 this morning. He says, we were buried with Jesus by baptism into his death so that we might walk in newness of life in verse 4. In verse 5, if we are united with him in his death, we will be united with his resurrection, him in resurrection life. Again, verse 8. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 10. Jesus died to sin, but lives to God. Verse 13. Consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So we see this death to life thing. And as we get into Romans 15, uh, verses 15 to 23, Paul changes his images here a little bit. And you've got your note sheets there, your little listening guide. And and this is one of those places, if you want to fill in the blanks, you're welcome to. But he, he moves from death to life Now he goes on to slavery, from slavery to freedom. Now, Paul has two questions, and with these two questions, he anticipated how the Jews and the Gentiles 
might misunderstand the gospel of grace because the gospel was a new message and it was kind of foreign to the, the ears of both the Jews and the Gentiles about this whole idea of being saved by grace through faith. So he didn't want them to misunderstand the gospel of what it means to be a slave. He didn't want them to misunderstand what it means to be free. So he's going to continue to unpack those in these verses. But he has these two questions. In verses 14 and 15, this appears to be a question that addresses the Gentile believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 14 and 15 read, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but you're under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Now, the Gentiles actually had never been under the law. They, they, many of them were unfamiliar with the Mosaic law. They, did, they, they just had their own idolatry that they were pursuing. But, but Paul said, even the Gentiles, though they were never under the law, were now under grace. And he anticipated their temptation then to, to think of grace as some sort of license or permission to do whatever they wanted since they were not under the law because in their pagan backgrounds, they even had temple prostitutes and they had places where they could go to have orgies and they had places where they could go to get drunk at the pagan festivals and feasts. So they were used to pretty much partying and doing what they wanted to. And Paul was saying, that's not going to be the case with Jesus. Just because you're not under the law, but you're under grace, that doesn't mean you have license and permission to just go out and live lascivious lives. Because they might have asked, well, is it okay, since we're not under the law, but under grace, to keep on sinning? And so Paul says, by no means. And, and the, the literal Greek there is more like, may it never be. Now, we find a similar question. I'm going to backtrack this a little bit, and we're going to go back into chapter 5, verses 20, and then look up at 6.1 as, as well. We find a similar question that I believe was addressed to the Jewish believers, where that first one you're not under law, but under grace, I believe, was more for the Gentiles. This one will be to the Jews. Verse 20 of chapter 5 says, Now the law came, in, law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Well, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? See, there was sin before the law, but when the law came in, we started to realize just how sinful God looked at our behaviors. So it seemed like the law, when we were told not to do something, that's the very thing we wanted to do next, was what we were told not to do. So it seems like the law seemed to increase sin, uh, because as, as we were given all these rules and regulations of what God wanted from people, they, it seemed like sin increased. But now since sin is increasing, doesn't that mean that grace is going to increase all the more? So... There's a sort of a perverted logic there that says, if God looks really good when he forgives me because of all this grace, then maybe I should sin a little bit more and make him look even better. <laughs> it, it, it's perverted, but guys, don't tell me you've never gone there. Okay. okay. So, so what, is, what is Paul's answer to this question here? Once again, may it never be. May it never be by no means. So we don't, we don't say those things out loud, at least not when anybody's with me, um, but, but we're sometimes tempted to ask similar questions in our own heads, like, like well, since I'm saved by grace, and, and since Jesus gives his righteousness for my unrighteousness, 
And, and since all of my sins, past, present, and future, have already been forgiven and forgotten by God, and, and since no one is perfect, does it really matter if I give in to sin once in a while? I mean, is it okay since I'm forgiven and there's really no penalty to pay? It's like, is it okay to go 90 and a 65 as long as I don't get a ticket? Okay. Uh, is it okay? And, and I think Paul's response to us and God's response to us is, by no means are you to do that. Uh, may it never be that you take sin lightly just because you're not going to hell if you get caught. Now, Paul uses the word slave or slaves eight times in verses 15 to, to 23. And a slave is someone who is essentially owned or controlled by another. The person has no autonomy. The person is in bondage. And in these verses, if we kind of uh, diagram or dissect them just a little bit, Paul mentions six at least different owners or controlling factors to which we can be enslaved. There are three bad ones, and there are three good ones. As we look at the bad ones, the first is Paul talks about us being slaves to sin. Then he talks about us being slaves to impurity, which is also sin. It's one form or one manifestation of sin. And then he talks about us being slaves to lawlessness. Okay, so we've got slaves to sin, slaves to impurity, slaves to lawlessness. And, and guys, that's, that's where we find ourselves before we come to Jesus. And then he's got this transition, though, of three good things that we can be enslaved to. And ironically, these three things that we are enslaved to that are good are actually the things that now we become free to do. We can become slaves of obedience, we can become slaves of righteousness, and ultimately this comes out to be we're slaves of God, that he now owns us, that, that he has control over us, that we relinquish our autonomy to him, and he becomes the master. So Paul, Paul assumes, I think correctly, that every one of us is a slave to sin, slave to impurity, a slave to lawlessness, unless and until we come to Jesus as our Redeemer and our King. Now, this word Redeemer, just remember, is, is the idea of someone who actually purchases you out of, of slavery for your freedom. You'll remember the idea of you can redeem a coupon at a store. When, when I was growing up as a little boy, we had SNH green stamps that my mom and grandma would save all the time and put in these books, and then you'd have to go to the Redemption Center and you'd turn in your books of these green stamps and you'd get a little uh, merchandise, something, depending on how, how valuable the merchandise was, you needed more stamps. And I remember as a little boy being excited to go to the green stamp store to get, get the things redeemed. What, what Jesus redeems us, he, he takes it and he pays the price, he buys us back out of slavery and gives us freedom. But before we were redeemed, before we were set free from slavery to sin and impurity and lawlessness, we were, we were controlled by outside forces. We were powerless, really, to, to, to free ourselves from them. But however, here's the great news of the gospel. Once we are redeemed, once we are set free by Jesus, 
we're no longer powerless to confront sin and impurity and lawlessness. Another, I know I'm talking to a senior audience here, so Roy's going to probably smile over here and have to look up some things on YouTube to understand. Um, but do you guys, you guys remember Flip Wilson? Yeah, and what, what was Flip's big thing? The, the devil made me do it. Okay. Um, Christians who have been redeemed and set free by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, never have the excuse anymore that the devil made me do it. Now, before you were redeemed, there, there's, a, there's a fair argument to say, yeah, you didn't have the power. You didn't, you didn't have all that was within you that was necessary to, to, necessarily, to, to overcome that sin in your life. But once you have Jesus as your Savior, once the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we are no longer slaves to sin. We can no longer say the devil made me do it. From, 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 from now on, we can say the devil tempted me and I chose to, to follow him instead of following Jesus. But there's a freedom that's there that wasn't there before. And, and, and so um, the big idea for the, the sermon this morning or the teaching is that the most practical truth of the gospel for the believer in daily living, just our day in and our day out living, is that Jesus has set us free from the power of sin. Okay. The other things about, the, about what Jesus has saved us for have to do with future, pretty much. They have to do with our forgiveness. They have to do with our going to heaven when we die. But where you and I meet the rubber on the road every single day when we face temptation is that Jesus has freed us in the gospel from the very power of sin. Jesus gives us freedom. And in our culture, we tend to understand freedom to mean we can do what we want, when we want, where we want, how we want, so long as we're not hurting anybody else. That's pretty much the ethos of our culture and our don't tread on me ethos that we have. But the Bible has a different understanding of freedom. In the scripture, we see that freedom means we are no longer enslaved to sin. We are no longer enslaved to impurity. We're no longer enslaved to lawlessness. Now we have a choice. Now we can choose to follow Jesus, or we can choose to give in to temptation. And this freedom, twice in our text here, verses 15 to 23, says this freedom leads us to something. What does it lead us to? Sanctification. It says this freedom leads us to sanctification, which is to be set apart for God's service, to be made holy so that we're now usable for Him. In verse 19, Paul writes that when we exercise our choice to present the members of our bodies as slaves of righteousness, that choice leads us to sanctification. You drop down to verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. So freedom doesn't mean being the captain of our own lives. It doesn't mean being our own masters. It means really that Jesus becomes a new master who leads us to sanctification in life. And where there is sanctification in life, 
there's where true freedom actually lives. Now, our old masters, including ourselves, when we were living this self-rule life, all those old masters led us to shame and led us toward death. You have a little table kind of there on your note sheet here. I just This is kind of basic. I think I found this when I was a brand new believer. I had a little book called Survival Kit for New Christians, and this little, little chart was in there, and it stuck with me and helped me all throughout my Christian life. We have three aspects of salvation, one past, one present, one future. The past is justification. We were justified, this legal term, meaning made righteous. We've talked about justification already. Now we're in the sanctification section of the letter. Sanctification, again, to be made holy, to be set apart. Glorification is when we receive a new body, when, when we're no longer in this tent, but we're in an eternal body like Jesus' resurrected body, and we're with God in heaven for all of eternity. So what, what, what does justification save us from? Justification saves us from the penalty of sin. What, what does sanctification save us from? The power of sin. We're no longer slaves. It no longer rules and dominates us. And glorification saves us from the very presence of sin. Now, guys, how long does it take for us to be justified? How, how, how long of a process is that? It's instant. You're born again. It's like a baby's birth. It's one minute you're in and the next minute you're out. Okay, you're, you're, you're born again. It's, it's an instantaneous event. How long does glorification take? Glorification. I skipped on you. I skipped on you. I'm going to come back to sanctification. It's an, glorification takes in a twinkling of an eye. We shall all be changed. Okay, it's an instant thing, and we love instant things. Sanctification, it's that process that spans between the moment we're born again and the moment we're changed. Okay, it's long for some of us, depending on how long we live and how, how, when we came to Jesus and when, when we go to be with him. But that, that's, that's our daily living. This, this, is, this is where we are right now. The justification part of you're a believer has already been done, and if you're not a believer, it can be done before you leave here this morning. We'd love to talk to you about how that can happen. The glorification will happen at the resurrection. I don't, I, my theology does not believe that at this point, Jim and Gene have a new body yet, but I believe that they will receive one when Jesus returns, and we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's why Hunter said, at home with the Lord, absent from the body. Now, Hunter mentioned two aspects of sanctification when he spoke two Fridays ago. One of those was positional, and one of those was progressive. And he used two words that I really thought were, were helpful here. One of those was imputed righteousness, which means like imputed, imputed to our account, credited to our account. And the other one was imparted. Okay. So in Christ, you and I are positionally sanctified, made holy, set apart for special service. And the Bible talks about that sanctification as being a done deal. It's a present reality. He said you have been sanctified. That's the positional part there. That's who we are 
in Christ. But it's kind of like a bank account. It's a poor, poor analogy. All analogies fall short. But, you know, when you have a bank account and you're trying to pay a debt that you can't pay, you always end up having insufficient funds. Okay. Now, we have insufficient funds to save ourselves. But Jesus imputes from his account to our account the righteousness that's required for us to be saved. That's positionally there. That is in our account right now. God has deposited it. Nobody, nothing, anything can take that away from us. However, we have to then have the withdrawal to, to, to tap into that account if we're actually going to use it. And I think that there's where this, this imputation is there, but now the imparting of his righteousness is there for you and I to receive. We are free to receive that righteousness in a day in, day out, living out of following Jesus. Now, in daily practice, we are either progressing in our sanctification, though, in, in, in practical terms. I'm either becoming more like Jesus, or usually, I'm, if not, I'm becoming less like Jesus. We can also regress. And even though we have this positional sanctification in our daily living, we can live very unholy, unset-apart lives that are hard to distinguish from anyone else who doesn't know Jesus. So as, as, we, as we look at the table there, this matter of sanctification is, is really where we live in the present. And it's, it's great to look back and to, to reflect on the time we first believed. And, and, and when we crossed that line from death into life, and when the Holy Spirit came into our life, and it's comforting for you and me to, to look ahead and to think, you know, Gene is with Jesus. Jim is with Jesus. One, one day... We're going to be with Jesus, and there's not going to be any more sin and sickness, and there's not going to be all the things that kind of trouble us that are going on in our broken world. But it's comforting when, when, we, when we do bask in the truth of being set free from the penalty, and, and when we long for that future day, we, we can easily miss the gospel for right here and right now, which is this longest period that we have to have to apply the gospel. And that is that we have been set free from the power of sin. And guys, I think, you know, as, as we are older, particularly, I have a desire to finish strong. And I, I think a lot of you guys want to finish strong. But what keeps us from choosing freedom from the power of sin why, why do we sometimes still live as if we were slaves to sin, slaves to impurity, slaves to lawlessness? I think there are probably two reasons. And I think Paul pretty much nailed the, the first one there with his questions. I think at times we are tempted to make excuses for our sins and to not take it as seriously as we ought to because we, we believe that we would no longer face a penalty for it. And we, we think, well, I don't do those really bad sins. I don't do those things. I'm not unfaithful to my wife. I'm not going out there stealing. I'm not hurting anything. But, but having a prideful attitude at times or, or having lust in my life, you know, those, those things don't really seem to hurt anybody else. And, and I think then we're buying into the world's sense of freedom at that point, right? We're saying I'm able to do what I want to do as long as it's not hurting somebody but it does hurt. And so I think a second reason we let ourselves off the hook for recurring sins is 
sometimes we're not really convinced that we can change. We're, we're, we've tried before. We've had failed attempts. Uh, and I want to, I just want to suggest to you that no matter how much you've tried before to overcome recurring sin or sins in your life, attitudes that you wish you could change, the way you use your, your words and your tone and, and, and your vocabulary, things that you might want to change that you haven't been successful at, I want to think that maybe you've tried to use the wrong power. You, you've tried to do that in your own power. You've tried to do that in the power of some sort of a three-step or 12-step program. We, we've tried to overcome these things. But sometimes the problem is that we just have not tapped into the truth of the gospel. Okay. For some people, maybe they're not, it's a lack of effort. But I think many times the problem is not a lack of effort, it's a lack of belief. We don't really believe that Jesus is able to free us from the power of sin and that the Holy Spirit within us can actually overcome. That's why Hunter was talking a couple of weeks ago about preaching the gospel basically to ourselves. When that sin comes to attack us, when we're tempted, and now we need to preach the gospel to ourselves to say, I am dead to that particular sin. Jesus has paid the price to set me free from that. I am dead to sin and I am alive to Christ. I don't need to do this. But then we have to come to the other point that has been a very important one at the chapel for many years, which is I can't, but he can. Okay, I cannot overcome this in my own power, but Jesus, thank you that you can, and I trust you that you can, and I trust you that you will, because your desire is not that I continue sinning, to show myself a slave, to be dominated or controlled by anything other than you. And if you give me the power to overcome this today, and, and, and you fill me with your spirit, and I exercise the freedom to not do that, then you get the glory. You get the praise. So, Jesus died to justify us and save us from the penalty of sin. He died the death that you and I deserve to die so that we could live the life we don't deserve to live. By sending the Spirit, he gave us this new life, and he declared that we are no longer slaves to sin. Guys, hear that good news this morning. Please believe that good news. As you go throughout your day today, you know, if you've been beaten down and thinking, I'll never overcome this. Uh, I, this is just the way I am, and I'm always going to be. I'm too old to change right now. Don't think about that as showing yourself to be humble or showing yourself to be weak. Think about that as showing yourself to be unbelieving of the truth of the gospel. Because Jesus says you're no longer slaves of sin. But you can be a slave of obedience. You can be a slave of righteousness. You can be a slave of God because he has set you free to become the people he created you to be. Victory over sin. Not a result of our efforts. Uh, but it is a result of God's gospel. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on the Williamsburg Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash men's breakfast. I hope you'll join us again for our next installment in our study of the Book of Romans. Until then, know that you have been set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless and have a great week.